0: I'm Amber Harper from the Burned In Teacher Podcast and a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Steve here, and I want to ask you a question. Have you been feeling stressed, overwhelmed, exhausted, maybe stuck? Or how about you're emotionally eating, you can't sleep, you're mindlessly scrolling the internet or watching TV, you have racing thoughts and maybe even a foggy brain. If you're experiencing these, then Self-Care Summer is for you. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to collaborate with Connect Flow Grow to bring you this exciting opportunity. The founder, Lynn Jimenez, is a therapist specializing in helping people reduce stress so they can live happier, more productive lives. This summer, she is bringing together her favorite self-care experts for Self-Care Summer to help you learn how to keep stress low. In addition to starting or freshening up your self-care practices, Lynn will teach you what you need to know about stress, including what it is, how to identify how stress impacts you, and how to use coping skills effectively to actually stress less. So go to my website, stevenmolettocom sponsors, and click on the Self-Care Summer with Connect Flow Grow hosting link to join by July 12th through 15th to secure your spot. This event only happens once a year and you're not gonna wanna miss it. Check it out. Hey, welcome back, Steve here. And today I'm talking with Kelsey Komarowski, the founder of Como, an educational consulting firm on a mission to equip each student with the skills to succeed, not just on the next test or essay, but in life, join us as we talk about teaching versus learning, developing a household culture of skill building, coaching students to achieve their potential and so much more. Awesome conversation. So much to learn. Thanks for listening. By the way, before you go. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to ask you again. It would be so cool if you would go to that uh, podcast app, you know, that uh, what you're listening to me on, go in there, open it up and uh, rate and review the podcast. Could you do that? Would you? Oh, come on. That would be so great if you did that. Thanks so much. Enjoy. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college-accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that we'll be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, So take a look. Go to my website, StephenMuleto.com, slash sponsors, find the NVTA logo, and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning! You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams now here's Steve with this week's show. Hey, Steve here, and my podcast, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes, the dashboard is easy to use, and my Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well, use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmuleto.com sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. Kelsey is the founder of Como, an educational consulting firm on a mission to equip each student with the skills needed to succeed, not just on the next test or essay, but in life. Kelsey earned over $100,000-plus in scholarship offers and awards throughout her academic career and has spent over 30,000 hours working with families to equip learners with the skills and mindsets needed to thrive inside and outside the classroom. She has lived on three continents, traveled to over 40 countries, and learned three languages throughout her career. Como has developed the most powerful tutoring system on the planet, transforming struggling students into confident learners who get high grades with low stress. A core part of Kelsey's mission is to democratize the type of learning support traditionally only accessible by the 1%. Kelsey knows that every student can succeed in school so long as they're shown how. She has 16 years of experience working closely with students to develop the skills, mindsets, and attributes they need to thrive, not just in school, but as lifelong learners and thoughtful, confident humans. As a family coach, Kelsey loves empowering parents with the skills and knowledge to help their kids reach their potential, as well, uh, you know, all while establishing positive household dynamics around school. Before founding Como, Kelsey worked with policymakers, school district leaders, and teachers at the Ministry of Education, Student Achievement Division in Ontar- Ontario. When not working, Kelsey can be found hiking, hot yogain yoga <laughs> hanging with Rousseau, her German shepherd, plus constant companion, or planning and enjoying adventures around the world. Kelsey, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us and say hi to everyone.
1: Thank you so much, Steve, for that wonderful introduction. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Hello.
0: Well, I'm glad that you're, you're here with us. And uh, before we get going, we got to talk about you just a little bit. You've traveled to over 40 countries and learned three other language. Obviously, most of this not happening in the last year. <laughs> but <No. laughs> uh, talk about what you've learned most from these adventures.
1: Oh my goodness, that's a great question. Um, I think that the first thing that comes to mind is really, it's the dichotomy, really. On the one hand, traveling to so many different places and spaces and being immersed in different cultures, you see how universal so many things are, right? Like things that we want for ourselves, for our families, like for, you know, just in general, for for the people that you love to be happy and healthy and successful. Um, And there's just a lot of universality there. And on the other hand, the very opposite, where the more you travel, it's like you're just borrowing realities, it feels, right? And like the reality, you just realize the reality that you have is just one tiny slice and there's a million others out there. And it's incredibly humbling and fascinating, I think, to, to no end.
0: That's so cool. I mean, that's, I just, uh, you know, but uh, I mean, just, just amazing. I mean, 40 countries. I, I think about, uh, you know, my focus has been on, uh, I'm in the United States and my focus has been on uh, eventually all, you know, I'll, I'll travel to all 50 of them. You know, it's like uh, uh, made it to Alaska not too long ago and hoping to go back there. Mm, don't know if Hawaii will ever be on my agenda or not, because uh, right now they're still locked down and <laughs> they got all kinds of procedures in that are just like, whoa, but that's a place I'd like to go. But uh big time. But forty countries, that's wild. <laughs>
1: It's you know, and it's a lot, but it's also it's a different type of travel. Like um I, I love that you just said that about hitting all fifty states because getting immersed into one country and in my opinion is equally as special, you know, as visiting multiple. Um and it's something even I'm I'm in Canada and I, I'm a I i feel like a bad Canadian. <laughs> I haven't been to all of our provinces by any stretch. Um, but that's that's so fantastic. And yeah, Hawaii when the world opens back up would be uh would be top of the list for sure. Very and cool. Steve, also before I forget, one thing I would offer, um, because you mentioned about the languages. And for anyone listening, um, a second language, it's like a superpower. Like it really is. It's the closest thing when you're traveling and you can even get by, even if you're not fluent, but you can get by and communicate in the native tongue. It just opens up this portal, um, to, to, to the people of the place, um, and that different reality in such a stronger way. So second language invaluable. I encourage everyone to learn one.
0: Very cool. So what are those languages by the way?
1: Uh, I was going to say, I actually don't speak three other languages. It's I speak English and then French and Spanish. Um, I can read Italian and understand Italian decently. And then I'm currently, I've just started the process of learning Arabic. So very, very early days, but, um, and it's not a romance language, obviously. So I'm expecting it'll be a bit more challenging than the first couple.
0: Very cool. Well, good luck. And uh, that's (laughs) awesome. Because like you said, I can imagine it's like a superpower when you're able to, to talk in someone else's, in their dialect. So Very cool. Uh, Now I can't go on without you talking about Rousseau. So tell us about him. (laughs) Tell everybody who he is.
1: Uh, I love that. Thank you, Steve. So Rousseau is my German Shepherd. He's a white Shepherd. He is the original love of my life. Um, I got him shortly after I finished my master's degree. Um, I think I spent more time researching dogs and how to raise a dog than I did on my graduate thesis. Um, And it was, it was truly love at first sight. I won't go, I won't get all weird about it. I just, I'm one of those people, if you have your, if you have an animal or or a pet who you just feel that connection with, um, that's what I have with this dog. And then my husband came along six months later. So we always joke, it's been a bit of a love triangle in the house (laughs) since day one.
0: Nice. Very nice. So, so I have to ask, is he named after, you know, French uh, philosopher or is it something else?
1: Yes, it is Jean-Jacques, thank you. I actually got him when, um, do you remember the show Lost, Stephen? Yeah, yes. When that was kind of at its heyday and one of the characters there was Russo and I got a lot of people asking, Mm. oh, like from Lost? I was like, no, not even close (laughs) and I'm a little insulted.
0: (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) So... I'm glad that I knew the <laughs> other Rousseau, not the not the character from a TV show, from a long-running TV show. Yeah. that they just couldn't get found. I anyway, <laughs> well, cool. I say, that's a
1: whole. We could do a whole other podcast episode just on
0: that. <laughs> yes, that, most definitely. That's 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 awesome. Uh, uh, so let's let's shift gears and uh, talk about uh, um, what you do, your business, and uh, and so what inspired you to begin Como.
1: Okay. Uh, there, I feel like there's a few different answers there. Um, nice. I think first and foremost, I did not um, have the intention of starting a business. That was never even a thought in my mind of what of where my life would take me. Um, the original thing that led me down this path, I was working at the Ministry of Education um, in the Student Achievement Division, um, as you mentioned in your lovely intro. And I was working with incredible educators. And I was working very closely with our Ontario has 72 school boards, and I was a point person on various projects. Um so it was really cool to get to be seeing different student success initiatives developed and implemented. But what I learned very early on was the bureaucracy and the red tape and how slow, glacial, one might say, things can move in government. Um, it was really challenging and it was really frustrating for me personally. I'd, I'd always tutored throughout high school and, and undergrad and that's I tutored for so many years and I missed having that direct impact, that immediate visible aha moment that a kid gets when they have a breakthrough, when they're learning, um, so initially I just I was I was kind of just disenchanted with with the bureaucracy, and um, I put up a tutoring ad on a website. And I thought, you know, I'll I'll get my fulfillment in that respect just by working with students um, sometimes, and and from there it just it 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 kind of took off out of nowhere. Within a month, I had a wait list. Um, it was mostly word of mouth. I was working like nights and weekends, and it, it occurred to me like, whoa, there's something here. The way that I'm tutoring is not normal for so many of these families. Um, So it was shortly thereafter that I realized, all right, there's something here. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I was like, there's definitely something here. And that's um, that's what led me to leave my very stable government job. Um, My parents were thrilled, as you can imagine, to to pursue (laughs) this wildly unknown. Hey, this is there's this thing here. I can help. People are paying me to do it. Like, why not see what comes from it?
0: I like that. Sorry. That's funny. Uh, You're doing what?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we put how much money into your education? And <laughs> yes. You got this great job and it's it's just over. Um, but no, they, they were, they're they very supportive of everything I've done. Um, and then I, I suppose the, the second answer to that question um, once, because at first it was just that. It was, oh my gosh, most students, they don't know how to learn or truly think critically about anything and how cool that I can help them do that, right? I was never kind of that traditional tutor that did subject-specific tutoring. Um, and then after a while, and I, I kind of partnered with... Some former colleagues from the ministry. So I was working with other educators and policymakers. And within the first year or two of like really understanding, most students do not know truly how to learn or achieve to their potential in any way, shape, or form. Um, and it's, you know, obviously there's external systemic barriers, but we were more interested in looking internally. There is a fundamental skills deficit. And when we saw that, after we'd done a bunch of data collection and analysis, and that's when I was really like, okay well, I've got my mission for my life, basically, let's build out this empire where every, truly every student can learn how to learn and how to achieve to their potential.
0: Very cool. Very cool. You got a great mission. And, uh, you know, just as side note, it's funny, something you just said, I think, you know, not only do kids not really realize how to achieve that potential, a lot of times they do the opposite, which is figure out how to do the least towards that potential. (laughs) You know, it's like, if I can get away with this, you know, I'm I'm just as guilty as a, as a kid, you know, it was one of those things that I figured out that, uh, you know, if I needed to spend all my time over in my physics class, I'm looking for the class where I don't have to, <laughs> that I can, they can kind of, you know, skim by a little bit different or, you know, whatever the other class was. And, uh, you know, there's a, so that's an interesting thought too, just as a side note, just, just to kind of,
1: it is, you know, it's not even, I would say it's not a side note. It's funny. I think what you've just described, like young Steve in school is very representative of so many of our students who it is the bare average mentality of like, well, what do I need to do to get this stuff off my plate so that I can go, you know, enjoy my life quote unquote for, for the most part. Um, that's very common thinking. And it's one of the things actually, at this point, I love it when we get kids like that, cause I'm like, you don't even know how good it can be, right? Like to shift out of that bare minimum and into something more meaningful and more enjoyable.
0: That's awesome. Cause that's uh, cause I can tell you, that's exactly how it was. And my, my thing was I lived for marching band. All right. So, <laughs> so it's like, if I can get all this other stuff off my plate, here we go, you know. So. to go,
1: what did you play, can I ask?
0: Trumpet. Trumpet. Played trumpet. And Very uh Very
1: cool. Do you still play?
0: Uh, I still pull it out a little bit and have fun with it. I I What's funny is as a high school principal, I never would have thought that uh I would have uh, it would become so handy because as a, it's actually started as an assistant principal, I used it to uh connect with kids. Um I had a band director reach out to me and he said, "Did I hear you one time say that you were in uh you know, you did band in high school and college. And I said, yeah. And he said, do you ever play? And I said, I said, once in a while, I pull it out and practice and, and do goofy things like that. And he said, well, he goes, if ever you want to. And I, one Christmas concert led me to figuring out, you know, this is a cool way of connecting with kids. And, and so what I would do as an assistant principal, you know, everybody, I was the mean guy. All right. So the band director there, let me pop into the band. And uh, so I had an escape. And also so kids could know me a little differently, which was really cool. And uh, then I used it as a principal because I went to schools to change things and I used it as a way to connect with kids so they would learn a little bit about me. I'd learn about them and, you know, that type of thing. And it was it was a blast. So I'm in lots of photographs of (laughs) and and video (laughs) families that are you know, me hanging out in the the marching band. So (laughs) that
1: is so cool. Steve, I love that taking like a a personal passion and hobby and using it as a resource to, to connect and build rapport and actually make a difference. That's, that's awesome.
0: Thanks. It was fun. You know, what was really cool is, uh, um, is that you start, playing and you, you start having fun and you, I, I discovered that the only problem is you revert to 16 so like what uh what would happen is stuff like you know the band directors up there directing everything or the drum major and then they're like okay hang on a second Who, who's talking back there
1: <laughs> <laughs> just a casual scolding yeah
0: and then they realize am I really going to scold the principal? <laughs> It's like,
1: sorry. But also the kids must love that, right?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's He's like talking about a way to connect with them, get in trouble with the van director for something they're always getting in trouble for. So, Hey, uh, awesome. I'll stop with my story. Sorry about that.
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: But, uh, you know, one of the things that I want to, want to do here is slide into this, uh, getting into what you do. And one of the things that, uh, I want to use is this question. Um, What would you say if someone asked you, do you think that the average student really knows how to learn in school?
1: Absolutely not. Most students... I think most students think that they do. Um, and this was one of the earliest, most interesting kind of revelations that that we had. Like, students equate, for the most part, and I'm obviously speaking from my experience, right? Um, and for context, we've worked, I started out primarily working in Ontario, but uh, now most of our families are actually in your neck of the woods in the US. Um, so we've worked with a lot of different learners, and that was a big part of our initial kind of research phase, was like making sure that we were looking at different learner profiles, different curriculum, so that we can make sure that those variables weren't really in impacting the other stuff that we were seeing and one of the the themes that emerged was students who thought because they sit in the classroom because they're being taught to they thought that that was learning and it was it's just fascinating and to this day so many of our conversations are like understand you still have to do things to learn like that passive like that. And that's what it is. It's passive, right? They're, they're receiving knowledge. Right. And, and what we tell them, like you can have the best teacher in the world. And we've worked with most educators we work with are incredible teachers are amazing, but you can have the best teacher in the world. If the learner, if the student is not primed to learn actively, not just in the classroom, but importantly at home, which is where we see the bulk of a lot of critical learning happening, then it doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. So the short answer is, I'd say definitely not, um, but it's most students think that they do. And that's kind of a part of the problem that they don't even realize that there's the gap between that classroom teaching and then what we call that at-home learning.
0: Yeah, you know, most definitely. It's interesting having this discussion because you think about, uh, you know, it, anyone who has kids and, uh, you know, you hope that they're learning, but you, you you see signs that there's probably a, there's some sort of disconnect along the way. And then, and actually, if you're honest with yourself, you know, <laughs> if you were a kid, like, I mean, now I did well in school. My problem was, is I was looking for teachers who played games. And I don't mean like chess or something like that. I mean, the the, the thought that if you turn your work in, don't talk during class, stay out of trouble and look like you're taking notes, then you're going to slide through. <laughs>
1: Mm. And, uh, did you find that was the, the case most of the time?
0: Oh, yeah, because I was a good kid, didn't get in trouble, did my thing. I would tell my friends, I said, uh, I had this whole game that I played. If you let me play it, I'm going to do it, which is because getting back to what we talked about at the beginning, which is the whole idea of I've got other classes that I can't do this in, and i got to spend a lot of time in those classes. And so if I can do that in your class, then that means I have to spend limited amount of time and lot, no hassle. <laughs> and so I'd tell my friends, when I go into class, you don't talk to me, all right? We're, unless we have free time or something, I'm quiet, and I face front, and I look. And I, had it, I even had it down to where I sat in the classroom. I'd go about two rows back from the front on the right-hand side if there was a right-hand side. And, and uh, you know, I'm focused on that teacher. And if they let me play that game, didn't call on me, didn't do anything, because typically they call on the – you know, what I learned as a kid is they call on the kids who cause trouble or the kids who always know the answers. And, uh,
1: totally, so, totally. See, that's, that's actually, that's so impressive. I'm even thinking like, I wish most of our kids had even half that level of like intention and <laughs> strategy when it came to how they were showing up in their classes.
0: It's sad that I've put a lot of energy into that strategy because it, it, it uh, unfortunately or fortunately, whichever everyone will look at, it paid off well for me because it meant that I spent a lot more time in those more demanding classes. Like I remember a certain English class that I really had to spend time in. So, but... I really digress there. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that uh, I really want you to talk a little bit more about is, you know, a little bit about the difference between school teaching and learning, and why we really need to address this because it's, uh, you know, it's it's something that, just like the example I'm babbling on about, it's uh, there's some differences.
1: There are some big differences. There is no babbling. Um, <laughs> all all excellent. Well, I think the the big thing that you know we strive to help our families understand because obviously it's students, of course, yes, but parents are also big in the conversation. Um, is that you know teachers their their responsibility fundamentally is not to ensure every student learns. That is obviously something that they like to do and that they strive for. Um, but their main deliverable is delivering the curriculum, right? And they're responsible for making sure that as many of their students as possible are going to pass from one year to the next. Um, So we have, and in this day and age too, I mean, I I won't even go on a tangent about how much is expected of teachers. Like most teachers I know are superheroes, truly. Like most people at every level um, of the school system that I've worked with have just been incredibly dedicated, but there are parameters and constraints against what they're capable of doing. So for the most part, teachers are teaching to an average student. Right, They're delivering this very standardized curriculum and then doing their very best to differentiate instruction and personalize it, et cetera. When students, however, are able to take ownership over their own learning, so not sitting in the classroom and being taught to, but going home with that content, with that material, and sitting down And then shifting essentially, Steve, the way that we describe it to our kids, like there's two ways of doing school. Most kids are in two camps and actually most kids, 95 percent at least of the students I've worked with are in the first camp. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Um, And the first camp of how kids do school is first and foremost, they are taught to in the classroom. They very much complete that with with learning. They get home and then they go about the way that they, quote unquote, do school is by reacting to what has been assigned. So it's very much a what do I have for science? What do I have for math or English? And then they sit down and they start doing it to get it off their plate. It's very much about their either, com- it's either consumption or completion. They're consuming information because they have to, they have to watch a video, they have to read a thing, or they're completing a worksheet or an essay, and then it's off their plate. And it's such a passive, And ultimately to me, I'm like, that's the worst way to do it. You're not, you're putting in time, but you're not really getting much out of it as opposed to like the second camp where students are flipped on, they're active, they are actively strategizing their courses. They're aware of the moving pieces within and between their classes. And when they sit down to do their work, importantly, they engage, right? It's that two way street where they are making, they're co-constructing a genuine comprehension of what they're learning as opposed to that more passive getting it done. And the interesting thing too, even going back to what we were saying before about students who often like to do the bare minimum, we love lazy kids. I'm like, get lazy. We're gonna show you the most efficient way to get from point A to point B, right? Like learn as fast as you can, get the grades you want, get in, get out, go enjoy your life, right? When, when you learn those strategies for genuinely managing and engaging in your work, that's where that learning happens, as opposed to when when you don't have those strategies, when you're just doing it and doing that bare minimum in that way, you're you're lacking a lot of the autonomous learning that would otherwise drive a much more meaningful and rewarding, you know, school experience.
0: That's cool. That's a, and it's interesting what you're talking about, trying to you know teach them how to make it efficient so so they can do those other things because that's you know that's uh, you know it is it's a big part of the struggle I think sometimes of that getting back to what you're talking about with that kind of passive sort of just okay what is it I got to do now here we go step one yeah. step two step three all right that one's done let me. Let me see if I can, oh, I'll put that one to last. I'm not sure I know what to do with that one. So we'll go back to this one. And and uh, that's a big part of it. You know, it's funny. What you just made me think of was, remember that English teacher I was telling you about that I had to really work on? Well, she was my senior English teacher, my honors English class. And uh, um, I think until I got to, before her class, I'm not so sure once I hit her class, she made you think, all right, and she wanted you to develop opinions based upon what you read and put these things together and stuff like this. Um, not too many others did that. And the next time I get a class like that is going to be my master's program. And I was a history teacher, and uh, in my master's history program, um, it was funny. There's, by the way, you know, the higher up you go in history, the the group gets a little smaller. <laughs> So, so you start, can imagine. so you know, you, you know, the, all the history people and uh, you get to know who's in your classes and stuff. And I'll never forget the professor going, I just said the most controversial thing. And you guys are just sitting there writing it. What do you think about it? And we all kind of looked at each other and went, does he really want to know what we think about it? That's <laughs> literally what, what, what happened? And he was, he was so angry at us because all we were doing was copying what he was saying and. Yeah, that was I love
1: all- that reaction. <laughs> just said the most controversial thing. What do you think? That's that's fantastic. It's also I love that just that abrupt shove of just like to jar you out of otherwise what is a very normal way. Of course, taking notes like that's super standard, right? Exactly. Um, I think, and I think that speaks to also. And this is with a lot of even because we work with students who are super high achievers. We work with students who are like, I'm fine with Cs, like whatever. Everybody's different, right? Yes. But I think even for for the best of us, it's very um, quick and easy to kind of fall into a transactional relationship um, with with school and with the school work, where it's really externalized about the what am I doing, what am I taking notes on, what test do I have to study for, as opposed to like who am I as a learner? How am I evolving as a thinker, right? Those things like, cause our brains are lazy naturally. So those things don't come unless we practice it deliberately. And I feel like that what you've just described is like super the status quo for most people.
0: It's wild when you get asked to think it's like, uh, <laughs> are you sure you want this? Cause the last time I was asked that question, uh, I got told no, you know, that type of thing. It's, and it, it's an interest. It, it's an interesting aspect because I do think that too often it's, it, there is, you're trying not to be active, and uh, so there's that huge difference there. I mean,
1: what? Oh, oh, sorry, Steve. you just made me think of of one other thing, um, and you cut me off if this is digressing, but it's it's something where, because students, it's funny, this is one of the things too that we talk a lot about, where we talk about students having lost the capacity to just think by themselves. So there's the, and actually before COVID, we called it the epidemic, I don't know, I don't think that's appropriate anymore, but we called it the (laughs) epidemic of, of the, I don't know, the, I don't know. So we ask her, you know, we ask our kids and it's like, well, how, what do, how do we do our XYZ? And they're like, I don't know. It's like, okay, well, take a second. Think about it. Now, I don't, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I, I hear that you don't know right now, you know, take a second. <laughs> don't look up things on the phone. Literally just take a second and think about it. And for so many of our students and on a bit more of a somber note, it's, I think it's actually incredibly unsettling where so many teens genuinely do not, understand their capacity to go from point A, I don't know, and how to think their way to point B of, oh, I get it now. And it's, it's something that, I mean, if there's one trend that I I would like to, to contribute to helping reverse, that that might be it because it's, it's so ubiquitous and it's so, um, you know, the implications of that are just, I think, staggering as far as who are the types of thinkers that we're putting out into the world.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, one of the trying to figure out how to simplify this, you know, something that drives you nuts is uh, uh, even just as a colleague or something like this is when somebody says something to you and you're like, you know, it's okay to be, to be confused or not understand something. But when you're asking me a question that you could probably find the answer to that, (laughs) you know, it's like, so what are you doing here? Is it that you're really confused because you don't know where to look or is it that you're just trying to find that simple path and uh, make somebody else do your work for you. You know, Tom Sawyer thing, you know, but.
1: Yeah, it's very true. And actually it's, you've just, we're running a workshop. We do a spring workshop series every year. And one of the ones we're running is on a solution, uh, solution fluency. One of my practitioners is running it. And it's literally that it's like, if you have problems, amazing, you have questions, amazing, bring those and also bring your thoughts on how you're gonna solve the problem. Bring your thoughts on what you're thinking to do to overcome the challenge. And I love that too. And I tell even a lot of our young professionals, I'm like, you have a boss, you have colleagues, bring problems, bring your thoughts on how you're going to solve it. Like just number
0: one. I love that. Cause that's, you know, part of one of the things I learned over time is that and I've, I probably had some of it going on in those days anyway, but you know, is, is that when I was a principal, I'd look at people and say, you know, if you're going to be on my team, I need you to understand something that uh, um, I'm a, and I, typically use like an analogy with a goal with soccer that uh, if you think about soccer and the goalie and i'm the goalie if you are dropping the ball too much i get shot on and eventually the more i get shot on they start scoring and uh you know it's we all have to pull our load which means that you got to figure out things and if you have questions real questions come ask me otherwise i need you to to be solving problems, not, uh, bringing them and putting them on my plate. Cause that's part of your job is to help me alleviate mine. So I can do the things that are required of the principal. So.
1: hundred percent. I love that sports analogy too. Very accurate.
0: Thanks. I, can you tell I played goalie at one time? <laughs>
1: <It's> like, <laughs> like, well, but we're about on the same level. Ah.
0: <laughs> anyway. Um, so, you know, In talking with this, I mean, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, one of the things that I've heard you talk about or or you have some thoughts about is um, developing a household culture of skill building and lifelong learning. Can you can you share a little bit about what you're thinking there?
1: Yeah, for sure. So we we learned early on student achievement. Does not happen in a vacuum, right? Um, And even this was a lot with traditional tutoring. One of the reasons that I don't, I was a tutor for a lot of years and I wouldn't subscribe, you know, as a tutor in that sense anymore because it very much just addresses, you know, first of all, a specific subject and then second of all, the student. And what we've seen is household dynamics, parental attitudes towards learning and achievement, and parental attitudes towards themselves as as learners um, has a huge impact on what our kids are capable of. And um, to keep this more or less concise, what really brought it over the edge for us, we did, we're always testing different models or methods and, and really trying to you know, dial in our own impact. And a couple of years ago, I launched a parent pilot where I was like, cause I kept seeing, we were working directly with only students. Obviously we would talk with parents um, and communicate a lot with parents, but the, the service delivery was only with students. And I kept seeing and hearing parents with the best of intentions, because parents want their kids to succeed and parents are amazing. And they would absolutely unintentionally sabotage their kids' learning. And I was witnessing this, I was just like, oh my goodness. It's like, we need to like, I think, start coaching parents and like helping parents tap into their own skills and strategies for supporting their kids' growing autonomy. And so we launched this pilot and I didn't know quite what to think, Um, but within the first cohort, like the results that we saw were, were outstanding, like the parents were so engaged and for themselves to be building a shared vocabulary, for example, just even that, a shared vocabulary around skill building in the home, it amplified the family's ability to learn collectively and collaboratively together, and that just accelerated our students' skill building when the parents were on board, like most of our, a lot of parents I talk to, they don't, they can't really define metacognition or executive functioning, like, and why, you know, why would they? But, but number one, if, and we tell this to our kids and and our parents, like, if you don't have the words, if you can't articulate what a particular skill is and what it looks like in practice and why it matters to you, you're not going to build it. Skill building is deliberate right it's purposeful and you have to have that language so that's just one example alone of when we talk about a household culture of skill building and learning we really need to have it embedded from the language that we're using right to that shared goal and vision of it's not just about get your homework done you know get get A's because we want you to get scholarships like i get it i've been in many thousands of living rooms like i totally get it <laughs> but we need that stronger foundation of we, we val- what do we value as a family unit? We value autonomy, we value resourcefulness, we value intellectual humility. It's okay if you don't know something, ask, it's great, nobody cares, like, let's go, let's problem solve. And just getting on the same page with what skills and strategies are valued, what they wanna be building out together as a family unit. Um, it's very cool, and I think I'll I'll just share one other thing and then I promise I'll, I'll stop, and going off a bit, but it's fascinating and it's so interesting because we see we see families who have been struggling to connect where like school is just a source of tension. The number of tears, Steve, that I've seen from parents and kids over the years, I cannot even tell you, like it it really is such a pain point for so many families. And it's that tension, parents against their kids, it feels like. When they can get on the same page and realize that it's parents and students tackling school and learning together, that tension just reduces and it's replaced where it's like school is now this point of it can be a point of pride. It can be a point of family learning. Like there's just so many other positive things that can stem from it when there is that household culture established.
0: Oh, that's cool. You know, that's uh, a lot of times uh, it's just a battle between parent and kid, especially, especially going back to something you said earlier with the, uh, you know, uh, um, the idea of (laughs) what, what's going on, what, you know, I don't know, or, uh, um, you know, I, I got this, you know, whatever the, the kid wants to say to try and get the parent off off the trail of whether they're doing their work or not you know which is how I see that <laughs> it's like you know yeah i got this dad or Oh, I have no questions. I have no homework, by the way. Uh,
1: Oh, that's the best. Yeah, I have nothing to do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to do. Nothing to do whatsoever. And really, so, you know, which is, by the way, just for any teachers listening, which, you know, hopefully you've learned that the website that you could have yourself is a great deterrent to that comment if the parents know that it exists. (laughs) No homework, huh? Let's go to the website. (laughs) That's
1: that's great. Let's check. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Um, Survey says, hey, you're wrong. Look at this. Anyway, the, uh, you know, it's. It's just interesting how uh, you know part of that culture in the house is what you know does help kids become better, uh, more proficient, a little calmer about it, as well as those who have none of that culture, which you know the idea that no one's talking to you about any of it, nobody's asking you any questions about anything that's due, or you know are you do you understand what you're working on what, you know um, you know, it's that which can be just totally you know, self-destructive, I guess.
1: Absolutely. And it's, I'm, I'm so happy you brought that up because it's so, um, there's so many hidden red flags and it's It's almost always bound up in what you just shared. Like a lot of families, um, and this is, it's one of the reasons when I talk with kids who, or parents too, where they're like, they're getting A's and the teachers don't fly. They're like, they're a delight to have in class. They're getting A's. Everything looks to be great. And what, at this point, what I've seen so many times, which is why I do full talks on how good grades be bad like that that can be such a double-edged sword because we've seen so many students graduate high grades never really struggled always doing great and then they get to college and they they got by because they were bright they got by not they didn't they did not build out the skill set and the resilience and the resourcefulness and the intellectual humility that identity piece to be able to thrive when things got hard and i've seen quite a few students drop out i've seen students lose scholarship like really bright students that had the A's, there were no red flags and then they are hit by reality of like, oh my goodness, I never actually built out the skills I need to succeed at that next level. And that's one of the more heartbreaking kind of, you know, ends of the spectrum when you don't have those conversations and when it's just like, okay, grades are good. It's fine. Um, So to anybody listening to parents, especially listening, like I, I definitely implore you to have these conversations, even just starting with, you know, asking your kids, how do you, how are you doing your homework? You know, what's, what skills are we using? Like, if they can't articulate the process, the systems that they have in place to be managing and engaging in their work, they're probably not doing it. And that that's a red flag to pay attention to, for sure.
0: Very much so. The What? Kids won't do their work sometimes? And you not know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, hey, let's talk a little bit about uh, traditional tutoring doing more harm than good. What do you think about that?
1: Well, if you've listened to anything of, of that I've sure shared before, I have some pretty strong feelings about it. Yes, um, and I I'll noticed. I'll qualify this <laughs> by saying that I tutored for a lot of years. I, I know the industry very, very well. I've contracted with very elite private tutoring firms. Like I, I know the industry. Um, the, so I'm talking about traditional tutoring and there are a lot of problems with traditional tutoring. I'll highlight a couple. Um, so first and foremost, traditional tutoring, it's subject specific. Right. So it's very much, it replicates classroom dynamics to a large extent where you have a subject matter expert telling top down a student what they need to know. So it's, you know, for math, for English, for whatever. And there's two, two things that are super harmful here. Number one, it's putting, it's disempowering the student with respect to those, again, those teaching learning dynamics to you that we talked about before with a student feeling bad and less than because they have to be extra taught to as opposed to them feeling empowered to to learn their way through it, right? So if you have a tutor or an educator who's helping, supporting that learning as opposed to focusing on teaching the content, um, that's one thing and that's great. The other thing, because it's by subject and it's generally sought on a remedial basis, like if you're getting a 98 in English, you're likely not going to have a tutor. Right, So, right. When, when we do it, this, this, this combination of the subject-specific and the top-down and then it's also remedial, students, it, it, it perpetuates such a negative identity piece of, I'm bad at that, I suck at that. Why my peers don't need help with this, why do I? It tells them, it reinforces, you're not good at this subject, which is why you need a tutor. Um, obviously, that's not the point of it, but generally, tutoring is sought from a deficit standpoint as opposed to empowering from a you know an asset let's build on these strengths um and then the final piece i'll wrap up with it really is just to to kind of take it full loop with with the subjects like real life you're not you're not graded on can you memorize a math formula and write an essay and analyze shakespeare like that subject specificity those nice little beautiful boxes that we call subjects and by which we gauge our kids success are irrelevant to the real world so when we talk about our niche is skill building schoolwork right ours is our model is skills-based learning it's not about making sure they know what they need to know it's like ensuring do they know how to think so when we're replacing subjects with skills it's not about do you have the content knowledge to succeed in every single subject it's do you have the skill set to learn and thrive within and between all subjects right and then of course that same skill set is what is going to carry them and help them succeed no matter what path they end up going down in life right in career and relationships etc cetera.
0: That's excellent. That's excellent. I love it. uh, Especially because, you know, so much of that is uh, you you see a lot of it in different shapes, ways, shapes, and forms. Um, But the same, uh, you know, just the idea that you can't have this portable tutor with you wherever you go, first of all. And then oftentimes, you know, you hear the complaint from the kids that, well, it wasn't, that's not how the teacher taught it, (laughs) or that's not how it appeared on the test. And so what they've done is they've memorized a way of doing it a certain way or recognizing it. And instead of understanding the processes that you should be able to use in different, speaking of physics, I mean, that's generally just memorizing formulas. Well, what if you get this problem that needs you to utilize multiple formulas to get to the answer or whatever. And,
1: Totally, and therein lies. I think that's such a great um, frame for the distinction between focusing on, you know, the content matter and memorizing stuff versus yes, but can you can you use the skills? Can you skillfully navigate that content in different contexts? Which is the that is the essence of skill building, right? When we talk about sure within a class within physics within math, what does critical thinking look like? But what does it look like with within math to English to because a lot of our students are like, oh, well, you know. Um, writing skills, communication skills. You don't need that. That has nothing to do with math. Math is just numbers. And there's just so many gaps where it's like, why? That's so, that's a crazy way to think. You know, there's so much missing. They're missing out on so much as far as their skill building and that holistic learning piece, building bridges between their classes.
0: That's, that's funny. Cause just as a note, sorry for all the stories, but what you just made me think of is something that, you know, cause I, I broke myself out of some of these molds by the time I got to my, my doctorate stuff, but you know, I got to tell you that, uh, in my master's history level, one of the things that happened was we had this big, um, I forget they called it, but, uh, one of the things you had to pass after dealing with thesis and all that sort of stuff is you had to pass this big sort of panel discussion that took place. And it took, I think like two and a, two hours, two and a half hours, something like that. And you had to choose your poison. You had to choose the five. Your advisor was automatically one of them. And then you had to choose the other four. And, uh, you basically had to submit something to them and they would either accept, or you had to keep looking. And, and so you have this committee of five and uh, the advisor's job was to pre- prepare you to go in there and talk in their subjects. So you had, in my case, um, education was one of them. And then we had these other areas of my history, uh, major and, uh, and what was really cool is that, so it was kind of cool cause it started having this feeling of I'm knocking them off one at a time. Right. And the economics guy, he, uh, he has his thing and he has me talk with him and I answer those questions and then that's cool I'm like okay cuz I the education guy knocked off here comes the economic guy is satisfied now I'm gonna turn to this other history wait a second the guy with economics suddenly has combined himself with this other history guy and they're talking about the economics of, of the Soviet Union in uh, in the 1950s and I'm like whoa Hey, you're not supposed to jump back in. You're tagged out, right? This is not like, you know, so, and so it, it, was, it was a pretty wild thing. But what you're talking about right there is it's like, don't don't mix the, sorry, I was about to give a very, don't cross the streams, man. Have you ever watched some? <laughs>
1: it's okay. You have a mature audience.
0: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, you know, anyway, I, and, and as kids think that way a lot, that's why they'll tell their teachers, Hey, uh, you're not supposed to do math in English. I mean, I just, that's not supposed to happen. I think it's written in the rule book, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. It's it's so true. I love, uh, also that story you were telling, I was getting a little nervous for you. I was like, what happened? Who jumped back in and then like threw you off? <laughs> Obviously you got your doctorate. You're good.
0: Um, just yeah. as a note though, I do have to tell you that that was a trip because when that happened, I wasn't expecting that, even though my advisor prepared me for it, That's not how the the group started off being satisfied with going, yeah, I'm good, you know, and they drop out. I'm like, this is gonna be awesome because they're not gonna do it the other, no.
1: Yeah, well, what a great instance too of like a micro instance of resilience and of thinking on your feet and of perseverance, right? There's so many beautiful skills and attributes um, in play with not having that, you know, derail, essentially the success of that endeavor. Um, I'm assuming it was ultimately successful. <laughs> it
0: was, it was. But part of the reason why it took two and a half hours, because I'm like, you got to be kidding me, because then, because that encouraged when the when the economics guy jumped back in, then a third, another history area jumped back in. He was he was big into the the Gilded Ages uh, and time frame, and and next thing I know, is I got three of them ganging up on me. I'm like, nice, this is really yeah. good. This, this you guys should just, you know, you know, they had to be laughing about this after they left.
1: Well, well, I'm sure it was a, a point of professional hilarity uh, for all parties involved. But, yes, exactly. Uh, but yeah, putting the students through the ringers. But <laughs> what, uh, what what you've just made me think of, it's it's so funny, those instances of surprise and of being like, mm, this isn't supposed to be the way that it is. It just made me think of of um, how so many students, it is a surprise that Stephen to me and I'm just trying to. Picture the best way to say this right now, it ties in with, I think, some very foundational like myth service conceptions that most students have about school and about, not even, I wouldn't even say learning, but about their subjects. Like I, and actually as a history background, I'd love to hear your experience with this. If, if you've had any, like most of the students I've worked with who struggle with, you know, writing or essays in particular, and I can't tell you if I had a dime for every time, where it's like, well, the teacher just doesn't agree with my opinion, so I'm never gonna get a good grade. Nice. Or like writing is so subjective, you know, so it's blah, 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 blah. And, and they truly think that. And it's like, writing is so objective. I'm like, there is a logic to every written product. If you, like, it's so objective, it's crazy. I'm like, you follow this formula, you'll do well, you know? And they're like, nah, they just don't like me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. That's, that's, that's the go-to thing as opposed to, well, maybe I could have, because like, I could have said that, uh, here, all right, I'm going to go back and tell you another story. Cause I could have d- easily said that when I was in 10th grade and I'm having to, um, read, uh, um, for all those who are out there that, uh, love, uh, um, Charlotte Bronte. Um, oh, come on, Steve. I can't believe I can't think of the name of the book. Uh, Not Wuthering Heights. What's the one with uh, Jane Eyre? Um, All right. So I get introduced to Jane Eyre and I'm a reader, right? I've been a reader, but not of Jane Eyre. And Jane Eyre, that version of the book was 444 pages. I'll never forget it. I remember the exact number because I tried to fake it. (laughs) I was not successful because the teacher asked on these quizzes and tests, these very specific sorts of little things that you had to just be paying attention to. You know, it's,
1: but then I'm imagining and this is not a dig, I'm saying it genuinely, but I was like, was there cliffs notes? Like that wasn't around, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: that's funny. Um the uh yes, there were cliffs notes. Um I was also thinking that I can do this. <laughs>
1: Just like I can just cut these corners and it's gonna be fine. Exactly,
0: it's just gonna work because where else? I mean, I, I can do this. I, I'd read a little bit of it, little skim a little here, skim a little there. I gotta make this. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> wasn't seeing that train coming at me. Um, but you know, that's you know, it's 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 kind of interesting when, uh, when you know getting into what we're you know, talking about here about uh, you know just I always wondered if someone had really been because one of the things you talk about is. Uh, Kids and their potential, uh, you know, getting to that uh, that level of, uh, you know, coaching them or understanding uh, what the potential could be. If I'd only had somebody take me aside and say, you know, I can help you figure this out. Here are the cliff notes. <laughs> um, but she got very specific because those cliff notes did exist in those days. That's why she would ask just crazy questions. That once I saw the the, the second quiz, the first quiz was deceiving. <laughs> that's the one that convinced me that I could do this without reading all of it. Um,
1: well, Steve, I, I must say, I retract my comment about there not being Cliff's notes. I feel bad.
0: <laughs> that's all right. But they were little yellow and black books that you had to go buy. Right. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to do this, but that's why she was so specific with those questions. Um, I, but you know, in those days there's no internet to go looking up things or see what people, other people have said and stuff like that. But um, you know, it's just, I too often I kind, I kind of think, you know, as kids or adults, we talk ourselves into um, you know this 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 type of thought, and you know, what kind of where I wanted to drive this to is uh, how do you how do you coach kids not to think that way, or shortcut term, or or uh, oh,
1: what they yeah, co- that's it's such a that's such a great question, and it's something we to continually to this day where we're working on dialing in our our strategies and our and our and our own coaching skills as practitioners with our kids. Um, And just to to highlight that i think it's so important and this goes into sorry i'll I'll backtrack um i think first and foremost the number one thing is is for to help students understand the that they are the only person who can truly affect change for them because i think there's a lot of this And we've heard it, we've heard it all. My teacher doesn't like me, I'm just not good at this subject. Um, We work with a lot of students with learning differences who are on the autism spectrum, who have dysgraphia or dyslexia, who have ADD. I can't focus, I just can't focus, I can't do it. And you know, all of these things, like those externalities are valid, they can be valid, like with some of my kids that are like my teacher doesn't like me i'm like that's possibly true but it's irrelevant to what's at hand (laughs) you know like those things exist and they're real and we want to validate them um but for our kids to understand that they the power that they have that is just sitting there waiting to be claimed is truly extraordinary most students don't think that they're so used to going through the motions and having it be transactional and having especially students with a history of stress or struggle they truly believe that's the way it is they don't have a frame of reference for how much better it can be. So why would they think about that? Honestly, Steve, I talk with families almost every single day. Most kids who have Cs or Ds, when I ask them what grades they want, what would you really want for yourself? They're like, I don't know, maybe maybe a B, if I could do Cs and Bs. And it's like, what? well, what? so you don't want A's? And I'm like, well, of course I would want A's, but it's not realistic. It's so devastating to hear how little they think themselves capable of. So I think that the first place, like you can't coach somebody who doesn't buy into it, right? Like I've never been able to help a kid who doesn't want to help themselves at the end of the day. A lot of kids demonstrate apathy or lack of motivation, or they're too cool for school. Deep down though, every kid I talk to, when I get, when you really unpack and really get connect with them on a heart level, every kid wants to feel smart. Every person wants to feel confident, right? So just that as a foundation for for helping kids understand, like they are in the driver's seat. They have resources, they have a bunch of adults who care about them. You know, all of that stuff is real, but at the end of the day, the commitment to themselves to to build out the skill set to truly explore what kind of thinker and communicator and time manager they want to be is everything and then the second part of that i think is as coaches and as educators are and as parents like as adults really working with kids who, who tend to have this more narrow you know or skewed view of the world it's helping them understand what's possible and it's getting really excited about what's possible for them Right. And like any win, no matter big or small, recognizing it, celebrating it, like helping them truly internalize this different lens of seeing the world. Um, it, it, it can be quite magical. And it's obviously just extraordinarily rewarding. Yeah,
0: it's so cool. That's so cool. Because it is once you can you break through to that, uh, uh, whatever it is that needs to be broken through to to get them focused. You know, that's just it. Uh, and, 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 Focused on understanding that there's yeah. <laughs> there's this different world that you can have because that is sad if somebody says oh, I can't get an A. That's I I've heard that talk before. It's you know yeah. it's and replace it with anything else. I can't do this. I can't do that. Or uh, you know I just I'm just not good at that. Well, really, or is it that you just haven't practiced at it, or you practice at doing the opposite, which is shortcutting yourself?
1: Totally. And it's the grades. I mean, obviously grades are, you know, they're necessary evil. They matter. We need them. We get it, but it's so the grades follow. Right. And like, like to your point, I love what you just said that the grades you substitute anything else. And at this stage too, because we've been doing this now, it makes me feel quite old. We've had our, we've seen our kids go from middle school to high school to college and like to career, like their first jobs. And it's so fascinating to be like, how, how you show up in school is a very good indicator of how you're showing up As a young adult, as a professional, like you don't magically wake up one day with confidence and capacity to flourish in various ways. Like you build that out ideally through schoolwork, every assignment, every test is just that opportunity to build out that skill set and that confidence and that understanding of exactly what is possible and just how far can you go. And even when we talk about potential, like... It's not um, and oh my goodness, who was it? I should know his name off the top of my head. I think it's Anderson out of U of Florida. Steve, if you're familiar with him, he wrote Peak. Um, it's a great book on skill building and de- developing potential. Uh, but one of the things I love so much about his work, he's talking about, it's not just about meeting potential. He's like, it's about then actively expanding that potential. Nice. And it's something that every person can do, but it's not talked about as often in those terms. And I, I think that's so important for our kids to internalize.
0: Very much so. That's awesome. Um, And, you know, it's, it's funny because for whatever, whatever their story is, there's, there's always something there. And, and, and sometimes it is, it might not be really understanding or having somebody who does kind of be able to, a lot of times as a kid, you don't need your parents. You're kind of pushing back against them. Or if you're not, you're, you know, just, uh, you know, what do they know? But you need you need to be hanging around the friends who encourage you because you watch what they do and whether they could ever teach you or not is not the point. It's just that they encourage you to do better. Like going back to the <laughs> the book story I told you. The uh, you know it's I I bounced against that invisible wall there and decided ooh, that was not good and uh, you know I my grades were important to me and and uh, I'm looking at a couple of my friends who are laughing at me because they're like you didn't read the book did you and I said no. <laughs> And they're like, aha, you see Steve's kryptonite here. And, but uh, you know, that stopped me from doing that. So it just, you know, the different lessons we learn, or we learn the other lesson, which is instead of making it better that, oh, it's just, I can't do this. And
1: yeah, well, it's, it's one or the other. And I mean, I think what what you've explained is, is the optimal outcome where it's like, well, I tried this, it didn't work. And let's do, you know, there's some positive peer pressure, maybe around, you know, leveling up a bit. Um, but that's not always the case. It's a slippery
0: slope. You got that right. So, uh, yeah, we're kind of getting close to wrapping up here. And uh, so I noticed that uh, Como is not just you. <laughs> you have a you have a staff there. You have a group of people. How does how does this work? How do you engage people? How do you uh, how do you reach How does somebody reach out to you and say, hey, we'd like uh, we think we need some help here? Or um, how does it work for yeah. You know, can you talk about that just a little bit?
1: Yeah, of course. That's a great question. Um, I am so fortunate. We have an absolutely incredible team. We work with educators um, from around the world and the best way to get in touch with us. So go to comoconsulting.com It's K-O-M-O consulting.com. That gives an overview of what we're all about. There's case studies, there's student interviews and parent interviews, really just showcasing what to our earlier point, what is possible when you learn how to learn? Um, And then we do offer every week we keep slots open where we have a one-on-one learning and achievement audit. So that's where parents and their student come on and we essentially do this assessment of where are you at with school, with learning? What are the core challenges there? Where do you want to be? And then how can we bridge that? And if it's in our wheelhouse, we talk strategy. If we can't help, hopefully, you know, we point in the right direction and share resources. Um, So our families find that pretty valuable. They're free. And uh, that's also Kobo Consulting Dot com backslash get started
0: now. Excellent, and I'll put that in my show notes so that they can uh, find that there as well. And uh, good stuff. So, uh, so one of the things I want to I want to ask you as we're we're wrapping up here has uh, nothing to do with anything we've been talking about. It's just something I like to ask. So, uh, so how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit?
1: That's such a great question. <laughs> um, And it's definitely happened over the years. Like there have been a few times. um, Entrepreneurship is a very lonely journey. Um, For me personally, I think knowing and being very connected with why are you why are you doing this in the first place is is so important. Um, Because otherwise, I for me personally, I don't see why you would keep going if you're not connected with that eventual outcome. Like people talk. You know, see, there's a lot of rhetoric around learning and the transformative power of learning. But to me, when I see those words and what they look like in practice every day with a kid who goes from I'm stupid, I can't do this. And a parent who's crying. My kid, how are they ever going to stand on their own two feet? It gives me chills. There's so much pain and worry. And then a couple weeks later or a couple of months later, kid is smiling. They're doing their homework. Mom is happy. Kid feels smart. It's there's nothing. That replaces that there's nothing better than that that is why i get out of bed every day and when things get dark and hard with 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 my career at least with work with what we're doing with our mission of normalizing this new way of learning i go back to that i think about i picture the parents and the kids that we've worked with um whose lives have genuinely transformed for the better because of what we're doing and it's um that's it. That's just like, all right, enough, get up, keep going. Let's, let's do this. There's nothing that you can't overcome to make that happen for more families.
0: Awesome. I love that. That's very cool. Thank you. And and last question, uh, Kelsey, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say, thank you?
1: Oh, I have two answers to that question. If That's okay. It's perfect. Okay. Um, my first one, and this is going way back. I was actually, um, in awe of your memory for like high school and things. And like, I feel like my memory is not that good, but, um, you've just brought up, I had a teacher, maybe he's listening. His name was Mr. Sherry. Um, I grew up, I spent many years in France growing up, um, at the international school there, Mr. Sherry, I think it was grade six English and in his class, cause I was shy. I felt I myself felt quite stupid as a kid. Like I wasn't as smart as my, you know, my classmates and, um, in class, he he asked a question. Nobody answered, and I, I thought of something. And he called on me, and in the most encouraging, "Oh my gosh, like what what, do, what would you like to share?" And it was just like probably he's done this you know a million things a day as teachers do. But to me, it was like one of the first times I remember feeling seen and feeling like somebody thinks I'm smart, um, and that was pretty awesome. I haven't that just came out of nowhere. By the way, I love that question so much. Wow, thanks, Mr. Sherry. Um, and then. This isn't one of my teachers, but um, you know Sir Ken Robinson was a game changer for me when listening to his TED Talks and, and learning what he was all about and his school of thought um, was an absolute game changer. I cried like a baby when he died. Um, so he uh, he definitely was was a huge influence.
0: Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. That's cool that uh, you're able to uh, talk about that. And, I, and don't ask me why. I, my wife tells me all the time, she's like, you can remember the stuff from back then, but what did we have? What, what did we talk about just five minutes ago? And I go, I don't know. You know, it's like, that, Funny so, how that happens, eh? yeah, it is, you know, uh, well, Kelsey, thanks so much for talking with me today and sharing about Como. Your, your focus on helping kids learn is awesome. And I just keep up the great work and uh, wishing you the best in all you do.
1: Thank you so much, Steve. It's been an absolute pleasure. Teaching, learning, leading K-12 is
0: excited to be a member of voice ed radio, voice ed radio. Your voice is right here.